Our Bible passage is from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor, so Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. Uh, let, oh. That was one more verse. Um, uh, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. All right. Well, great job, Sam. Thank you for that. Um, good to see everybody in person and um, online. Uh, during the month of September, I'm planning to bring several messages on the theme of control. Uh, I'd like to ground the sermons in the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis and in the story of Cain and Abel and then Cain's descendants. Uh, almost all the stories of Genesis serve as paradigmatic for humankind. Uh, the name Genesis uh, means uh, literally beginnings. So whether it's Adam and Eve or Cain and Abel, um, many of the themes and narratives we see in this book uh, kind of feel like origin stories uh, for uh, the various insights of uh, anthropology. Um, although the subject matter is uh, kind of on the dark side, envy, uh, murders, banishments, uh, etc. Uh, I felt this chapter uh, well uh, illustrates a lot about our human grasping uh, at control and our desire to bring the world under our mastery. Our passage today depicts uh, a scenario where control is asserted, lost, and overcompensated for, leading to not only a loss of control, but to a terrible outcome of destruction and sorrow and chaos. Um, by uh, spending the next few weeks in this chapter, I hope to uh, elucidate uh, how our desire to control can spiral well uh, out of control. Um, as my title attempts to convey, uh, I'll try to convey two, just two main points, two points today. Uh, first, I believe that we all want, desire, pursue control. We angle for it. We favor it. Uh, especially in Western liberal societies, freedom of choice and self-determination are keystone values. Uh, second, uh, one area we typically try to control, whether directly or indirectly, is the favor of God. We want him to treat us well and provide, protect, us. But trying to control God's blessings, in trying to control God's blessings, we may 
uh, lose ourselves in the process, as Cain did. Um, so we cannot let our desire for control to overtake or over uh, control us. So with those two big kind of themes, I'm going to try to um, just have us reflect a little bit and then finish with looking at the details of the text. Uh, control is a big word in human experience. Desire for control, uh, at least in some form, is universal. We may not seek world domination, but power or at least predictability over our situations, so at least in terms of meeting basic needs and desires, these are definitely at play. Uh, control describes our efforts and goals to appropriate resources, human and otherwise, to fulfill our own uh, purposes and desires. Control in one sense is actually a biblical mandate as evidence in God's call for Adam and Eve to rule the earth as well as his creatures. So I believe the best interpretation of that command to rule is, is to properly steward, right? to caretake uh, the creation. In practice, unfortunately, the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, for the most part, have taken this privilege as a license to do whatever we want with the natural blessings and resources at our disposal. Hence, we've striven to commandeer everything for our own consumption often serving the short-term enjoyment at the expense of a sustainable ecology. But overall, this appetite for control is not easily satisfied. Control can be quite elusive. The universe does not bend easily to our will. There are forces afoot which uh, hamper us from achieving our desires. Then there's competition. Often our attempts to control go or clash head-to-head -head with others who also want the same things. And then there are the limitations we have as finite human beings. A parent's hope to absolutely ensure their child's safety might be a noble one, but it's not realistic. We can only do so much. A professional's effort to secure uh, their economic future that can never be guaranteed. There's too many uncontrollable factors. And certainly in our area of COVID, we've been stripped of any confidence whatsoever uh, that we have much control at all. Right now, the world seems beyond our ability to understand and safely venture forth, let alone master and direct. So as we've been talking about and praying about, public schools and institutions of higher learning and workplaces, they've largely reopened, or maybe they've delayed their plans of reopening, or they've reopened and reclosed, or any permutations uh, that I haven't mentioned. I figured uh, right now is one of those times of very tenuous uh, control. But it's in these challenging times where we lack control or don't know what's going on, uh, this, these will delineate where our real character lies who we are, individually, corporately, as a society even, it can get tested big time when we have to deal with the unfamiliar or with adversity or when things don't go our way. Uh, paraphrasing the great coach Eric Taylor <laughs> in the uh, high school, Texas high school football show, Friday Night Lights, 
He says this, every man at some point in his life is going to lose a battle. He's going to fight and he's going to lose. But what makes him a man, a human, uh, is that in the midst of that battle, he does not lose himself. I actually editorialized the movie line a little, changing man to human, uh, because I didn't find its applicability limited to only men, right? Um, in our Bible passage today, things don't go the way Cain would have wanted. His younger brother Abel is given more recognition by God than he is. Um, but instead of trying to work it out with God or trying to work on himself, Cain decides to take control, take charge through the route of violence and elimination, an all too common option it seems. Cain takes control in absolutely the wrong way and horrifically harms Abel. He also ruins his relationship with God, and Cain ultimately damages his own soul. Now, I've kind of described this desire to gain control so far as a very natural desire. I think it's okay for us to favor control over, let's say, non-control. Yet, at the same time, it's crucial to recognize that we cannot control everything. Maybe not very many things, in fact. You know, Cain wasn't even able to control himself, and neither are we, I bet. We'll talk more on that next week. But to acknowledge that we were never meant to control anything, to me, is an important step in uh, personal maturity. We all have to make that step again and again. We have to learn it, learn that lesson to know the boundaries lines of what we can control and then what we are not meant to try to take over or dominate. And these are important lessons not only to learn, but to execute. Uh, I've mentioned the recent trip to Maine that our family took, and uh, typically it's pretty well planned out, although, you know, uh, I always say we have flexibility to change the plans and stuff. And my family always requests either uh, very directly or, or indirectly, they suggest don't over plan. You can't control everything on this uh, trip and stuff. And I always refuse to listen. And uh, we had a, a really good trip. Everything kind of worked out and there's flexibility, except the very last day where uh, I kind of mistimed something. I had to be on Zoom for, for something. And I thought I could get it either at the hotel or, you know, hotspot, that kind of thing. But it affected like something like um, for uh, our daughter was supposed to meet somebody, um, an old uh, somebody from her college, and we couldn't do both. We couldn't. I couldn't get into Zoom, and we couldn't get into uh, um, uh, get her to meet her friend. Um, we couldn't uh, have both things happen, and so we got a little heated. Uh, and all of the <laughs> All the wonderful, you know, release and stress uh, uh, relief that we had experienced, kind of uh, then kind of fell apart. So again, this idea where uh, we can't control everything, right? Um, indeed, God only, right, is meant to control everything. He possesses the power, right, the authority, and the character uh, to be able to exercise sovereignty in this way. Right? So, kind of viewed in this way, uh, sin at its core uh, could be understood as our refusal to acknowledge that God, not me, can be in control of everything, including my own life. 
And we can even say that to wrest control, to strip control away from God, is the essence of sin. We want to rule our own lives. We want to rule much more than that. Uh, maybe others' lives, maybe a business, maybe you know uh, situations. But to claim of, uh, sovereignty over ourselves, that is sin. And then to submit to God's control of our lives, of our past, present, and future, that is trust, that is faith. That is the bedrock of salvation. Okay, so, so far I've tried to say that um, desire uh, for controls it can be uh, it's a natural thing and understood properly under God's protection it could be a good thing yeah we've uh, hopefully tried to uh, acknowledge that I'm not in control God is in control he he controls everything right but then to me that's where a new danger can emerge if we realize that God is the uh, power over all it's easy to segue into then seeking what I'm calling divine favor. If God is in control, we conclude that then I need to be right and close to him. Okay, that, that's good. He is the key to perhaps acquiring control because he possesses it all. Now, seeking uh, divine favor is a biblically sound concept uh, because um, the scriptures speak regularly about a life lived to please him. It's appropriate to seek God's blessing. Uh, indeed, the definition of a, the central doctrine of grace in Christian life is founded on the idea of God's unmerited favor right, to the repentant sinner. So living under the beauty and the power of God's favor is a good, good thing. But as in uh, numerous blessings and benefits in Christian life, if not life overall, the manner how the means by which we seek those good things that matters uh, to god god cares both about the ends and the means right so unethical or deceptive or coercive or manipulative means of gaining favor from god or from other people for that matter is of course not approved and to me, that is what's doubly disturbing about Cain's actions in Genesis 4. Not only does he murder Abel, but the impulse to murder arises out of the context of something very good, right? the worship of God. These guys were making offerings to God. They were in church, if you will. And Cain's envy and malice against Abel uh, resulted from a perceived slight Cain received when God expressed pleasure at Abel's offering, but not his. This is so incongruous, right? In the midst of something devotional, in the midst of worship, right? Outwardly, he is doing the right thing, but something happens so that inwardly, Cain's heart becomes darkened and uh, unholy, right? filled with hatred. And it seems like that's so weird. What, how could that be? But it happens often enough. Maybe we're going through it right now. Uh, even on, in the great Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus specifies this unacceptable situation and provides a remedy. You know, he says, 
in Matthew 5.23, Therefore, if you are uh, offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So, you know, we have Jesus telling us that this happens a lot. Right? That's the truth. And so he says, even before you get to worship, even before you bring the gift, prioritize that reconciliation, overcoming of that hatred. Um, don't try to control the situation to finesse it or do something like that. Do something that uh, takes away from the, the core issue here. Let's stay on this uh, thought a little bit, thinking about what are some pitfalls, if you will, uh, in worshiping God, right? How can our devotion be contaminated um, in, while we are in the, in the middle of it even? So worship in its best form is actually, uh, to me, complete submission to the purposes and power of God. So what we're saying is, Lord, I come to you acknowledging that you are the source of everything. You are in control of my life, and I trust you. Right? To me, that's the purest uh, form of worship. But when we come with an agenda, when we come with a mindset, let's say a transactional mindset, or dare I say it with a quid pro quo in mind, we risk turning our service to him into a bargaining chip. Um, for the items or abilities we want back from him in turn. I, I call it, you know, vending machine relationship with God. Give something, get something back. If we don't get something back, we're tempted to stop giving, right? That's how the world works. And sometimes we transfer that into our relationship with God. Yeah. It's a, to me, at its worst, it's a means to try to control God, right? Or asking, I do this for you and you give me this back. And often... That's a power, that's a means of control uh, to, uh, um, to help ourselves, right? So to try to direct God's favor in certain directions, it's, it's arguably one of the oldest aspirations of, of humanity, right? Whether it's via appeasement or tribute, like religion, that, that's kind of the heart of religion. Yeah. So when we see that happening, that's, I think, we have to be careful. Now, you know, God does grant us so much um, in response to prayers and our acts of devotion. But the problem is when we mm, turn, when we perform our acts of piety and commitment uh, in an effort to control the flow of things uh, from God, it's primitive. It's actually rather elegant, though, right? It, it's a simple way to understand human, uh, heavenly provision and earthly reception. I'm not sure if these brothers were acting in this way, if maybe Cain was trying to manipulate God. Do, I'll do this, you give me this. Uh, we're not given any clear textual evidence. Maybe. Abel's worship motive was more pure in, in motive. Uh, but it, the danger that's there and, and the ugliness that out of worship came hatred, came murder, came fratricide. Of course, you know, who doesn't want divine favor and approval? We want that from um, even, you know, 
grubby people on this grubby earth, how much more from an omnipotent and wise creator. Yeah, deep in our hearts is a need for recognition, for attention, for love, for the favor of God, even the favor of people. When our parents give it to us unconditionally, it's, it's amazing. We're truly happy, but as we get older, we find their love maybe imperfect or inadequate, and so we seek it from friends, from peers, from, from strangers. Now, like middle school, high school, if you recall, if I recall, those are particularly challenging in regards to recognition and favor. So to want it from God, again, uh, to me is not problematic. It's what that leads us to do, how we seek it from God. To try to twist his arm, to try to negotiate with him, right? Um, anything where we are trying to control God to give us more control. To me, that's what we have to really guard against, right? God in his tremendous divine benevolence, he pours out his love, right? He is gracious. He is generous, right? Some of it out of his complete sovereignty, others intermingled with our prayers and petitions. God grants us favor over and over again. We can make a blanket statement that we are favored by God. He does favor his children. That's his prerogative. God is free to do that, but it has to remain free, right? Now, God won't you know, do it because you know, we're forcing him. God's, you know, it's, it's never... Uh, to, to that point, but we yeah, can ruin the relationship. We can confuse the relationship when we try to control God. In fact, when we try to control God to gain his favor, we fall out of his favor. Right? That's the ironic thing about it. Uh, the best favor of God is his guidance, uh, his lordship, his governance, uh, over us. Okay, so I said uh, in our remaining time, I want to try to take some of those uh, reflections and uh, take a closer look at the narrative. So uh, Genesis 3 has been a huge downer, detail, the details the fall of mankind, as well as the various curses meted out upon Adam, Eve, the serpent, and the earth. But chapter 4, verse 1, uh, which we started reading, it starts with a happy event, at least in terms of design. A child is born. Life continues into another generation, but it actually could portend more. Uh, some commentators say that there's a link between the word man, right? I brought forth a man of chapter four, verse one, with the word offspring back in uh, Genesis 3.15. That was where God prophesied the coming of a conqueror born of Eve's line who would crush the serpent. So this reading holds that the birth of Cain was not merely an act of procreation between Adam and Eve, but that it was Eve's uh, specific belief slash attempt to redress the failings of eating the forbidden fruit. Cain's name likely means, here he is. Here is the man, not a man, the man, the offspring, the savior. Uh, so in a sense, she tried to fulfill the prophecy on her own, maybe to win back God's uh, approval, or at least control the flow of the curse. There is a hint, though, of faith, right? Because she says, with God's help, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth uh, a man. 
Okay, then after the birth of Cain and his younger brother Abel, we fast forward to at least their young adulthood, if not later in their lives. They've both grown up enough to adopt occupations, Cain being a farmer, Abel a herdsman, and both of these men practice worship as a customary part of their lives. We're not given details of how they come to learn this responsibility and what they're told as to the propriety of offerings that they should bring. It doesn't seem that there's uh, much difference in the type of offering that they bring, meaning that both produce and animals were equivalent as offerings presented to God. Right, we, in, the old, in the Old Testament, we find both examples, both uh, harvest and uh, animals uh, were used in the sacrificial system, although blood probably represents better Jesus' sacrifice. Um, be that as it may, most commentators do not find a difference uh, in the type of offering they bring. But some observe that there may be a difference in the quality, where it says that Cain brought some fruits of the soil, but Abel brought uh, the fat portions of some of the firstborn of the flock, suggesting that he more carefully chose what to bring, and he brought the best of what he had, as opposed to maybe Cain, just kind of selecting uh, any old thing. Can't make too fine a point of it, I don't think, but um, it does seem not notable right, that uh, perhaps there was this kind of difference. Whatever caused God to be fav uh, look favorably on Cain, on Abel, but not on Cain, um, the problem is Cain's reaction. Right? The problem is that Cain finds himself in a position that he does not like. He feels inferior to his younger brother. And instead of responding to God's offer to turn from his dark path, Cain blocks or closes himself off to God. And he chooses to go his own way, and his way is what? To me, it's his grasping at control, right? He can't change God. He doesn't think he can change God's mind or whatever, but he can do something about Abel. He can take care of him, right? He can eliminate him. He can get rid of the problem. To him, the issue is not himself. The issue is not God. The issue is this upstart younger brother. And so he lures this brother uh, into the fields under pretense of friendliness, and then he waylays him, and then he literally takes full control of Abel's life by snuffing it out, by ending it, by terminating it. I've said that our desire for control is universal, and our sense of that we can't control everything is also universal. So we don't have to wonder about that. So we'll find ourselves in, in times when we feel there is no control, certainly as Cain did. Calamity, adversity, happenstance, mistakes, errors, so those are all there. But what is more important than feeling out of control is what we do in response. Right? Cain felt like he could do nothing to improve the situation. So instead of looking to God, instead of finding a different way, what does he do? Right? He takes 
matters into his uh, violent hands. You know, uh, to me, the greatest favor, divine favor in this passage is God reaching out to Cain. Right? God pursues Cain and says, sin's crouching at your door. Don't let it control. Don't let it master. We'll talk about that next week. Um, don't give in to it. Don't destroy yourself. Don't destroy Abel. This is God, even before it happens, trying to protect, right? trying to spare Cain from uh, ruining himself. Yeah, I, th I think God's um, effort, God's way, God's initiative to protect us from sin, that is a tremendous act of grace. That is a powerful evidence of divine favor. But Cain doesn't want that kind of help. Right? He wants to control what happens next, even if it's inhumane, even though it's illegitimate. So in his effort to, say, regain or earn the favor from God, Cain ends up disfavoring himself even more, committing the worst atrocity, shedding innocent blood. I told you it's a dark story, <laughs> and uh, maybe that's not where we find ourselves. But I hope you, you, know, you and I can see the parallels you know, that when we are in a situation, Tony talked about us being desperate right, these days. In desperate times sometimes um, brings out desperate responses, desperate measures. The more, uh, uh, the stronger sense of, uh, that we don't control what's going on can uh, engender even a more powerful attempt or effort to try to gain control. Right? You know, Cain, from church, from worship, from offering, right? in his desperation, like a cornered animal, he, he pounces. And he, in the process, um, he does something uh, very heinous. Yeah. Uh, how are we uh, reacting? How are we uh, responding to our out-of-control situations? Do we get angry? Is our face downcast? Do we avoid and ignore God's promptings? Do we take control where we were never meant to take control? Um, you know, let's take some time to think about uh, it. Uh, trying to give a, a little bit lighter kind of thought about it. Uh, there's this baseball phrase. Okay, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a Mets fan, and so I'm going to preempt Tony talking about the Mets when he comes up to wrap us up. And, but the Mets have been going through really a bad time. They, they've tried, they've been losing, and they're supposed to be really talented, but <laughs> uh, it seems like every year they kind of uh, underachieve, right, and stuff. But uh, anyway, they're supposed to be talented hitters, but um, they're all kind of choking. They're not playing like they, they can be. And their explanation, their excuse is that they're trying too hard. Right? So every one of them wants to do a game winner. Every one of them wants to hit a home run. And they, so they fail when they're, when they're at bat. Right? And so there's this phrase that, they, that I've heard that you got to let the game come to you. 
right? I'm not quite sure what that means, like I've never been a professional baseball player, but I think it means that uh, you can't try too hard because then you tighten up, then you don't, your, your training and your, your, your practice, you know, all the practice that doesn't come in and then so you, you're, you, you know, you're, you're a millisecond too fast or a millisecond too late and that, it's a game of inches, they say, so you, you mess up. So you have to trust your training, you have to trust your talent, you have to trust the moment, you have to almost act instinctually instead of overthinking it, overanalyzing it, and, and trying to take control. This is how I'm understanding. Let the game come to you. And sometimes I feel like our, our, in our lives we have to do that, to let life come to us. We have to do the hard work in, in the background, right? We have to prepare, we have to work hard, we have to get ready, we have to learn, we have to grow, we have to trial and error, all that kind of stuff. And, but sometimes we have to, we can't try too hard because in the end, we end up panicking, we end up overcompensating, we end up hurting ourselves and others. We have, maybe the better way to say it for Christians is we have to let God come to us. And as he did in this story, he will. We have to allow him to lead us, allow him to limit us, allow him to bless us, allow him to provide for us, allow him to grant us the exact control that we need for every situation, for every moment. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, our time to worship. If any of us harbor ill will towards you or to others or to anything, Lord, help us to lay our service before you and reconcile, and then with a clean heart, uh, a pure heart, come before you. Um, in the area of control, Lord, uh, we are all being so sorely tested. And uh, as we try to reopen, um, I think the stakes will grow even higher. But I pray that we will look to you and we will look to each other. We'll understand that uh, uh, true control comes from you. Guidance is, is so important when you give it to us. Uh, we need you, we need each other. So um, please give us uh, grace and strength and favor from your heart once again. In Jesus' name we pray.